My name is Frank Figueroa, and I'm with a ministry called Reasons for Hope. Um, for those of you who have never heard of us before, you are not alone. Um, we are a basic Christian apologetics ministry, but I want to greet you first in the way that I do from my homeland with a big warm aloha. You guys were a little better than the first group. I'll, I'll, I'll say that. You know, the first group, they had to wake up in the morning. Not enough coffee. Um, long story short, my wife and I were, uh, I, I was a pastor in Hawaii for 25 years. Um, and uh, pastored a couple of churches there. And just this summer left uh, to be a part of a ministry called Reasons for Hope, which is an apologetics ministry. And now we've sold everything we have that cannot fit in a 5 by 7 container and um, basically live out of our Subaru and drive from place to place uh, sharing the gospel of Jesus in apologetic form. Um, we have gone to places in Hawaii, but um, this is the past six months across uh, the U.S. where we have been. Um, every place you see a dot is a city that we have been to. Um, so some of you are thinking, okay, that's cool, but how, do you, how did you get here? Um, the reason that I am here is because I know somebody kind of important to the people here. I, I actually know your pastor. Uh, pastor Rick Roadheaver and I ha have been friends for over 35 years. He has been my longest friend and one of my most true friends. He has held me accountable in the faith. The Bible says that iron needs to sharpen iron. And I got saved shortly after he did uh, in Hawaii. And uh, we have kept in touch throughout the years. And if there is any reason that I can bear witness to you today and I stand before you, number one, by the grace of God, he allows me to do what I do. But number two, because of people like Pastor Rick who have held me accountable and have basically helped me grow in the faith, uh, I am here today. And so I am absolutely privileged, but I am also humbled uh, to be here in, in seeing what God is doing amongst you folks as a church. I, I visited a couple of years ago, but I wasn't able to attend service. So it's good to finally meet you all. Um, past uh, six months, 15 states, 110 different messages I have given over the course of 60 different venues, 22,000 miles my wife and I have driven. Uh, and we've gone as far as the East Coast to the West Coast, so spoken over 7,000 people. And so once again, I thank you for allowing me to be with this cloud of witnesses today. We're going to be talking about how some people will say, well, if you're strong in the faith, you don't need to worry about your walk, that you're good to go. Anybody ever heard somebody say, been there, done that, you just got to keep on keeping on? Anybody? That's kind of the case, but if we're not careful, we can slowly drift away. Today's topic is a little mature, so if you have children, keep that in mind. Um, and I will be giving you a warning at the end because one of the videos that we are showing will be something that has a little bit of a graphic nature to it. But um, I'll, I'll give a warning for that before we go. Uh, but I wanted to start with one of our debunk videos, which says, it doesn't matter why you believe, debunk. Check this out. This just in, the moon is made of cheese. Bigfoot was seen last night talking with Loch Ness Monster. An alien spacecraft mysteriously landed near Roswell. The Titanic sank. Jesus resurrected from the dead. Abraham Lincoln was an American president. Men can get pregnant. There are indeed married bachelors and Humpty Dumpty is still on the wall. Did you know all that? Do you believe all that? Do you believe any of that? 
And the bigger question perhaps is, does it really matter what anyone believes? Well, I guess if you believe it's a good idea to inject lava into your veins to cure your arthritis, it might matter to you that somebody steps in, corrects your thinking, and saves your life by stopping you from actually doing such a ridiculous thing. Point is, wrong beliefs can have deadly consequences. What we believe matters. But I have a bigger question than the bigger question that preceded this big question. A deeper question, perhaps. Why do you believe what you believe? I ask this because your what can crumble in a second if you don't have a strong why, even if your what is right, huh? Yeah. In fact, a large percentage of people are convinced to change their what, not because their what is wrong, but because their why is weak. Yeah. Go ahead and wrap that up and we'll snack on it in a second. For now, let's consider one of the statements I opened with and challenge the what with a why. The moon is made of cheese. True or false? False. Why do I believe that, you might ask? Well, because the moon would be far less dense and therefore the Earth's tides would be extremely different. Cheese would have broken apart and disappeared already, and eyewitnesses have been to the moon and brought back rock samples. No cheese. I could go on and on here, but the take home here is you should have a legitimate why behind your proclaimed what, especially if it's important. Which takes us to another statement, a statement of utmost importance, Jesus resurrected from the dead. True or false? Well, let's say you think that's true, but then Donnie the Atheist asks you why you believe what you believe. Maybe he goes on to give opposing views. He quotes scientists, shows you documentaries, and gives you what he believes is hard evidence that he thinks utterly destroys your so-called faith. What would you do? Panic? Cry? Run? Or could you definitely defeat Donnie's deficient diatribe, declaring definitive data, duly demonstrating doctrinal dexterity, and dutifully dismantling Donnie's downright dubious demonstrations double time? I'm asking. Just asking. I mean, you could say you believe the resurrection is true because of the eyewitness testimony, the explosion of Christianity soon after the event, the Roman leaders admitting the tomb was empty, or for a host of other reasons, powerfully presented in debunk number 12. How's that for cross-marketing? Look, bottom line is this. 1 Peter 3.15 says, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Titus 1.9 commands, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. And Colossians 4.5-6, says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now, it seems to me that in order to do these things, you got to have a strong why behind your what. That's just how it works, people, which means the statement that it doesn't matter why you believe what you believe has been debunked. Adios. The desire of our ministry is to be able to give you the whys that validate the what. Um, and so we're going to do that here today. But first, how many of you like that video? Uh, we, we have a whole bunch more that you can sign up for. And I'm going to tell you how to do that if you want. They're absolutely free and they're on all our platforms. But we like to know who's partnering with us. If you have a cell phone, you can take it out. I know that's frowned upon in church, but I know someone, I know the pastor. And so uh, he'll, he'll let it slide this once. Um, you can take out your cell phone and you can send a text. What you're going to do is you're going to open your texting app. And the number you will text it to is 51555. You're going to text the 51555, and the message that you're going to text is adios space frank. Not the word space typed out, just a space. So adios space frank is the message that you'll spend, f send. 51555 is the number that you'll send it to. Once you get that information in there, you're going to go ahead and send your text. Once you send your text, you'll get back a link pretty quickly. Once you get that link back, you can go in and fill in whatever information you'd like to fill in. We'd like to know who's partnering with us. And when we say partner, those who need the resources are those who are in prayer with our ministry. Our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and that is through means of trying to give away as much information as we possibly can. These are all available on our app and our website. Once you fill in that information, 
you go ahead and click get debunked and you are in it'll give you an information uh, screen that gives you how to get all of the debunked videos as well as all of our other resources that are available and you can do that and you can check out the app directly through any uh, app store or uh, platform that you may choose everybody got that capiche okay we're gonna go ahead and get started we're gonna be talking about drifting away and our topic today is going to be stemming from Hebrews chapter 2, uh, sorry, chapter uh, uh, 2 verse, actually I think it should be 12, verses 1 through 4, Hebrews 12, 1 through 4, um, where it says, therefore, is it 12 or 2? two? Oh, it's 2, sorry, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which had first begun to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? God also bearing witness, both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his will. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 12 warns us, Therefore, to let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Psalm 119, verse 93 says, I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. And so when we go back to Hebrews 2.1, it says, therefore we must give more earnest heed to the things we have heard, the what and the why, lest we drift away. How many of us have ever done something that seemed like a really good idea at first, only to realize it was a big mistake? Anybody? Okay, good. I know I'm not alone in that. I'll say it in another way. How many of us like doing fun things that can be a little bit dangerous, even though we can get hurt possibly while we're doing it? Anybody? I'll give you an example. I live in Hawaii, like I said. One of the things people in Hawaii love to do is go into the shark tank and feed the sharks. I used to go diving all the time. My goal was to stay as far away from sharks as possible because they can get angry and they can bite. And so my big thing is, why would I do that? But how many of you, if given the opportunity, would go into the shark tank with the sharks? Because as people, we tend to like the thrill-seeking. Anybody in here like to ride roller coasters? Why? I'm afraid of heights. I don't like being in a car that I'm not driving because I like to be in control. And so why would people get in a vehicle moving at high speeds, at heights that are beyond normal? It's beyond me. My wife loves it. But the idea being, once again, that some people like this. And it's always good, well, until it isn't. What do I mean? This ride, Firehawk, which is actually at King's Island, in Ohio, uh, what you, they make you lie prone, and so you're kind of like Superman flying through the air, and it was awesome until one day it wasn't, and a man died by going on that ride. It scared him so much that he had a heart attack. So something that seemed like a thrill killed him. Anybody else? Would you bungee jump? Few people tethered by a skinny little string. Right? And everybody was like, oh, it's so much fun. You know, it's so thrilling. Uh, no, it's not, actually. And once again, everything goes good until it doesn't. Bungee jumper plummets 164 feet to her death, leaping off bridge without fastening the cord. Things can go really wrong really quickly. So I asked the question again, how many of us like doing fun things? We raise our hand. But what if it's playing with something kind of cute and cuddly? Because... What's so wrong about that? How many of you have seen this thing? 
would go and play with it. Because it looks so cute. But what if you knew behind it was this thing? Because the Bible actually speaks on this. Some of you are like, it speaks on a bear? Check this out, Proverbs 17, 12. Let a man meet a bear robbed of her cubs rather than a fool meet his folly. In other words, it would be better to be mauled by a mad mother bear than to die in our sin. That's a pretty heavy statement. Anybody know what type of bear this is? It's a grizzly bear. And grizzly bears are pretty cool. I like bears from afar. But if you get too close, things can go really wrong really quickly. National Park Service says a grizzly bear charged a group of hikers in Yellowstone National Park, leaving two people injured, including one person who suffered bite and claw wounds. They had hiked down and saw the grizzly bear 11.30 one morning and saw the baby bear and wanted to take a picture of it, and the mother bear was behind and didn't dig it. And so she attacked. When the officials were called in, their answer was, the bear is just doing what a bear does. Makes common sense. So we have to be careful of the things that are sometimes cute and cuddly because behind them lies something dangerous. In fact, James, the book of James, warns us of this. James chapter 1, verse 13 through 15. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one of us is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. This is why we need to beware of the what. Pay attention to the things which we have heard and learned. Otherwise, we slowly drift away. Told you I lived in Hawaii. Anybody know what beach this is in Hawaii? This is Waimea Bay. One of the most ultimate beaches in the world. Beautiful place. You will know it by its rock that people tell you if you come to Hawaii, you got to jump off the rock at Waimea. And that's what people do. But one day, it was a hot day, and so I decided I needed to go body surfing to cool off. Water was nice and cool. I decided I was going to go in. And so my wife and I went to the beach. But when I got down to the water, I noticed the rip current was pretty strong that day. And so my wife, being the good wife that she is, she goes, it looks pretty rough. The waves are kind of big. The rip current's strong. Maybe you should just stay out today. And I'm like, Psh, you're from Minnesota. I'm... I'm from the Aina. I got this. And so, looking all over, I walked past the signs that said, when in doubt, stay out. And had the picture of the guy with the broken neck on the shore break. You know, I walked past all that. And I decided to take my foot off the rock that was solid. The, the sand was solid, no waves up on the sand. And jump in, and I was alone when I did it. And next thing you know, I was sucked out. To the point. And I was floundering out there, trying to get back in. It was almost impossible because of the way the rip current was coming in. And so the lifeguard even came on the bullhorn and said, hey, chunky guy, why don't you swim in? And, and, and I'm like, I am trying, you know, but I, I just couldn't do it. I was struggling. And, and I started to take in water. And by God's grace, I made it to the rocks that were at the point. And then I had to do the walk of shame coming back on the walk, rocks, as everybody on the beach watched me and thought, there's that foolish guy who didn't do what he was supposed to do. 
just true. Six mistakes I made. And for the sake of those of you who are note takers, you can take notes. But I am also going to give the church staff here a copy of these notes in their, in, of the presentation in its entirety. Um, on PDF form so that you can have them because we are going to move rather rip, rapidly. Six mistakes I made. Number one, I was lured by something of temporal value. My desire was to cool off on a hot day and there's nothing like Waimea Bay to do that. Here's a picture of me that day. Sis <laughs> jokey, it's not really me. But the idea is that I, 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 was, I was tempted by this cool water on a hot day so I was going to go out and do it. Number two thing. I didn't pay attention to what I saw. I saw that the rip current was strong. I knew that it was dangerous. Saw it with my own two eyes. That didn't deter me. Mistake number three. I didn't pay attention to what I heard. My bride, my helpmate trying to help me, told me, this is not a good idea. And I went, nah. And I did it anyway. Number four, I didn't pay attention to what I read because there were warning signs all over the place. Rip currents, watch out. You could be swept out to sea and drown. That's pretty to the point. If in doubt, don't go out. Dangerous shore break. If you got a picture with a guy with a broken neck, that could be dangerous. Don't do that. But I walked past all of those. I took my foot off the solid rock and I decided to jump in. Headlong. We're just going to go for it. Next thing you know, I realized that I was all alone when I did it. And I got myself into trouble. I broke the number one rule of swimming. They teach you this when you're going to take swimming lessons. Never go in without a buddy. It's called the buddy system. Have a buddy with you, right, to help guard you and protect you. Because once we know God, knowing the right thing to do and not doing it, gets us into trouble and it's sinful. James chapter 4 verse 17 says, Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. What's interesting though, is I found that these same six mistakes are actually made by people even recorded within God's word. What do I mean? If you'd like to turn there with me, you can. We're going to read quite a bit of it. 2 Samuel chapter 11. You all know where I'm going with this. The king of Israel, a man after God's own heart, a godly man, made the same six mistakes. And it's laid out for us in scripture. It happened in the spring of that year at the time when the kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him. That, that's, that's, that's our first problem. Everybody's supposed to do something. David says, now I'm just going to stay home. Kings are supposed to be in battle. He decides to lay back. And they destroyed the people of Ammon, besieged Rabbah. David remained in Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house, and a woman conceived, and she sent and told David and said, I'm with child. Then David sent to Joab, saying, send me Uriah the Hittite, because he knows who her husband is. 
So Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah had come to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah departed from the king's house and a gift of food from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his own house. In other words, David was trying to set Uriah up so he would come home, be with his wife. He would think the baby that was in her was his. That was his desire. So we go from not only, just not doing simple things. So all of a sudden now he's lying and conniving. Goes on. So when they told David saying Uriah did not go down to his own house. David said to Uriah, did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your own house? And Uriah said to David, the ark in Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents. And my lord Joab, the servants of my lord, are encamped in the open field. Shall I then go to my house and eat and drink and lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. So the, I, I would argue, more inexperienced takes a stronger stand than the experienced. And says, David, this is wrong. I will not do it. Does that deter him? No. He keeps going. So David said to Uriah, wait here today also and tomorrow and I will let you depart. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. And now when David had called him, he ate and drank before him and he made him drunk. And at evening he went out to lie in his bed with his servants of his Lord. But he did not go down to his own house. And in the morning, it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote the letter saying, so he, he sends him with his own death sentence out to the battle. It says, set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him so that he may be struck down and die. He doesn't even know this. So it was when Joab besieged the city and that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew there were valiant men. Then the men of the city came out and fought with Joab and some of the people of the servants of David fell and Uriah the Hittite died also. So not only did Uriah die, but other people were killed in the tragedy as well. All because of David's sin. That David sent, said to the messenger, thus you shall say to Joab, do not let this thing displease you. In other words, he knew what he was doing was wrong. He knew his commanders now went, what's going on here? For the sword devours one as well as another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow them. So encourage him. When the wife of Uriah heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for her husband. Because there is regret. There is remorse. But sometimes it's a little bit too late. When her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. And the story would have ended in David's mind in a happy way, except for this next sentence. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. This was not going to go unchecked. David was going to get called on the carpet. And if we read through the rest of the book of 2 Samuel, we will see the consequences to sin in a very drastic way. If we want to get technical, David made the same six mistakes I did. What do we mean? He was lured by something of temporal value one night with a woman. He didn't pay attention to what he saw. All the rest of the kings were out going to battle. He decided, no, I'm just going to kick it back. I'm going to remain at home. He didn't pay attention to what he heard. That when he asked, who is this lady? They said, isn't that the wife of Uriah? That should have caused something. 
to triggering him. He didn't pay attention to what he read. And I want to be clear. It doesn't say that he read anything here. That's the problem. He had access to the scripture. This was the king of the nation of Israel. And he chose other cases in which David couldn't sleep. He calls for the reading of God's word, does he not? This time, no, he doesn't. And so I will say that we need to get into God's word and God's word needs to get into us. Mark Twain, I believe it was, who's giving credit for it, said it's not how much we mark our Bibles that matter, it's how much our Bible marks us. So we need to be in God's word and it needs to be living in us. He then takes his foot off solid rock. He forsook what he knew to be godly and he was alone when he did it. We have to remember to be careful. Otherwise, we can slowly drift away. Psalms, number one, declares this. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. In other words, this man went from walking, which means he was moving along in his way. It's a casual term. He was in motion to standing. Next thing you know, he's just hanging out idly by. And in the next thing you know, he's not even standing. It says he's sitting. He's not moving forward in the Lord. In fact, we're given the opposite of this as God's example when we read the rest of the psalm. But in his delight is the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. In other words, we need to be in motion and keep being in motion. This person who is in God's word is like a fig tree, planted, fortified, stable, fruitful. They, they produce much. They're, they're growing. They're unwithered. Even during days of difficulty, nothing will take them down. They're undaunted. And they're prosperous. And we're not talking about this financially. They're prosperous with the fulfillment of God in their lives. I want to read you a paraphrased version. Anybody ever read paraphrased versions from time to time? Sometimes they help us see things from a different perspective and maybe give us another understanding. This is the paraphrased version of Psalm 1, 1 through 4. Listen to it good. Oh, the happiness many times over of the man who does not temporarily or even casually imitate the plan of life of those living in the activity of sinful confusion, nor comes and takes his stand in the midst of those who miss the mark spiritually, nor settles down and dwells in the habitation of the blasphemous crowd. But, in contrast to that kind of lifestyle, in God's word, he takes great pleasure, thinking upon it and pondering it every waking moment, day or night. The result, he will become tree-like, firm, fruitful, unwithered, and fulfilling the goals of life that God has designed for him. The ungodly, not so. They are like worthless husks beaten about and battered by the winds of life, drifting and roaming without purpose. Therefore, on account of their inner worthlessness, without the Lord, sorry, without the Lord, the ungodly are not able to stand erect on the day of judgment, nor do they possess any right to be numbered among the assembly of those declared righteous by God. Because the Lord is inclined toward and bound to his righteous ones by special love and care, but the way of the one without the Lord will lead to eternal ruin. Many people have fallen for the same six mistakes. If you're a note taker and want to write them down, I threw it up one more time. Just so we could remember it. 
My mistakes, lured by something of temporal value, cooling off on a hot day, not paying attention to what I saw, not paying attention to what I heard, read, taking my feet off solid rock and being alone when I did it. Lacking accountability is huge in all of these. In fact, if I were to die that day out at Waimea, you know what my tombstone would read? Here lies a fool. Because what I did was foolish. No. It absolutely was. It was all my own doing. And I would argue there are many fools that live among us. I'll give you an example. Anybody ever heard of a guy named Steve McNair? Husband, father of four boys, three-time pro bowler, played in Super Bowl 34, called himself a Christian. One day, Mr. McNair saw something that he thought was kind of cute. An exotic dancer by the name of Sahel Gassemi. And so he decided to become her boyfriend, even though his wife and children were at home. What he failed to realize is that behind her was a mad mother bear. She had a lot of issues. And so when he finally came to his senses and said, this is wrong, I'm going to knock this off. And so he decides to break up with her. She decided to give him two in the chest and two in the head. And she killed him and then killed herself. He never had a chance to make things right with his wife and kids. He died. All the way dead. Because he was lured by something that was so temporal. Same six mistakes. Didn't pay attention to the things he saw. Lured by just a few moments with her. Didn't pay attention to what he heard. His conscience must have been going crazy. Knowing what God says and that his wife and children were at home. He didn't pay attention to what he read. Her criminal exploits were all over the local papers. This was a woman that everybody knew. He took his foot off solid rock, and once again, he was alone when he did it. If I could encourage you in something, we just got told that your church is going to start up new small groups, I'd get involved. And the reason that I'm saying that is not only because it's a wise thing. My wife and I have been on the road for the past six months. And we have been to our home church in the past six months three or four times. Because we're on the road all the time. We listen to devotionals. We, we listen to podcasts. We do our Bible studies. We, we do these things. But I cannot express to you how much I miss fellowship with the body that we belong to. I would encourage you, because you belong to an awesome body. Amen? That was pretty weak. Amen? Amen? Then let's get involved. Let's be accountable. How many of you like it when an old person shoots it to you straight? I'm older than some of you, but not than some of you. So I'm going to let an older person shoot it to us straight. This is Proverbs. Chapter 7, verses 7 through 27. And he says this. I saw among the simple and I perceived among the youths. So he's older because he says, I see a youth. And he called him simple, which is another word for saying dumb. A young man devoid of understanding. That validates my claim. Passing along the street near a corner, 
He took the path to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark of the night. There was a woman who met him with the attire of a harlot and a crafty heart. She was loud and rebellious, and her feet would not stay at home. And at times she was outside, and at times in the open square, lurking at every corner. So she caught him and kissed him with an impudent face, and she said to him, I have peace offerings with me. Today I've paid my vows. So I came out to meet you. Ha! She would have met anybody. But that's not the line, right? It's, oh, no, this, this is just you. Uh, uh, diligently to seek your face, and I have found you. And I have spread my bed with tapestry, cover, colored coverings of Egyptian linen. I perfume my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves also with love. And it, check this next line. For my husband is not at home. You would think that this would trigger something. She says he's gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him, and he will come home at the appointed time. And with her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. Immediately he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a fool to the correction of the stocks until the arrow struck his liver. Now, I don't know if he got some disease and died or the husband came home and shot him. I don't know. But I know this. This cost him. As a bird hastens to the snare, he did not know this would cost his life. He thought he was good. Just a little bit dangerous. It's not that big a deal until it's not. The old man then says this. Now, therefore, listen to me, my children. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For she has cast down many wounded, and all who were slain by her were strong men. All of them thought they were good to go. Her house is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. That's pretty brutal. And it's also true. We are warned to watch out for the things that sometimes seem cute and cuddly. Because behind it lies a mad mother bear. And I'll share one more. I'm not going to even talk too much in depth about this. One of the greatest apologists the world has known, the ministry is shattered. It is no more because of the same six mistakes. Some people have said, are you saying that Ravi's not saved? I'm not saying that at all. I'm, that, that, I'm not in the, the mode to judge people's salvation. What I am saying is this. He ended very, very bad. And it's shameful. And unless we think there is potential for us to go there, but by the grace of God, we may end up there. We have got to be people who have accountability, who are careful, and who are dedicated to God and his word. Amen? It's required of us. Uh, question, honest, are we drifting now? I had someone come up to me in, in the lobby after first service and said, you know what? Thank you for shooting it to me straight because I'm adrift. I didn't shoot anything straight. God's word calls us to repentance. Amen? And, and so therefore, I, I, nobody's beyond this. I, I like reading devotionals. I, I love reading God's word, but devotionals sometimes help me understand. And so uh, one of my favorite people to read from is Chuck Swindoll, because he's an old guy who shoots it to you straight. He said, 
Once year, a large selection, a section of tree fell not far from where we had lived for over 22 years. Within minutes, several of us had gathered to grieve the loss. And as I stood there staring in disbelief, the thought struck me. This happened only minutes ago, but it's been in the process of happening for a long, long time. No tree just suddenly breaks apart. Once we were able to see beneath the thick bark at the break, it was obvious that this tree had some kind of killer disease, had been at work for years. The city was notified, and within an hour or two, they came in their orange trucks with heavy equipment, chainsaws, rakes, and brooms, and had everything whisked away in no time. Not so with the fallen life. Unlike trees, people don't grow up all alone or exist in a world of stoic and hard independence. We mingle and we merge into one another's lives. All the while, there is appropriate respect for each other and for one another's privacy. So we back off, trusting one another in realms too personal and intimate to share. In other words, we don't have real accountability. We have supposed accountability. We, we keep our distances. We know how to be good fakes in the church. But herein lies the rub. A core disease in the thought life goes unnoticed and untreated. No one knows that the pulp behind a healthy-looking bark is neither wholesome nor healthy. And so the erosion continues its slow, silent, secret process. Then one day, there's a sudden collapse, a terrible break that allows everyone to see what no one expected. But because fallen people are not like fallen trees, many around the fallen are always injured. What can we learn from all of this? First, just because we have a good start doesn't necessarily assure us a strong finish. Focus on the finish line and press towards it that we may finish well in the Lord. Number two. Erosion could be at work, even though the bark looks healthy. Just because somebody looks like a great Christian doesn't mean there's not a struggle going on on the inside. Let's get involved with one another and be truly accountable to one another. Third, strength comes from deep within. Invite a few to keep watch over your pulp. Can you look after me? And, and, and I'm not saying this flippantly, and I wish we have our conversations more often. But your pastor, Rick, and I have kept in touch for 35 years, even though we've lived apart for most of them. And there has been no topic that has been off limits. When we started off in ministry, it was like, man, are you living right? Are you, you know, make sure. And, 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 and that has continued to this day. We have shared with each other not only some of the joys in our life, but we have shared with each other some of the biggest struggles and hardest times. We have to be open to people keeping our lives in check. Fourth, never try to convince yourself that your fall won't hurt anyone that much. It's devastating. Let's be honest about that. Here's how science and the Bible agree. Things in motion tend to stay in motion. Things at rest tend to stay at rest. If we are not in motion, then let's get up in this new year and get involved and get in motion. Five keys to getting back to where we're supposed to be. Number one, repent and turn around. We need to be people who acknowledge not doing what it is we know that God has called us to do is sinful. And we need to repent before the Lord and do what it is he's called us to do. Number two, we need to be in fellowship with others. Be in fellowship with others. And this is a great place to be in fellowship. And I'm not saying you have to be at this church, but I am saying go to a church that teaches God's word. 
so we can be in fellowship with him. Third, and I just held up four fingers. <laughs> Third, be in the word. Be in the word. The Bible needs to be in us, and we need to be in our Bibles. Uh, one of the things that Pastor Rick and I said from when we were very young in the ministry uh, is that seven days without the word makes one week. We need to be in it, and it needs to be in us. Number four, be prepared. Be prepared. Know that the armor is there, and we are to stand and fight, and we would be foolish to not rest in the fullness of God's protection and providence. And number five, fear. And when I say fear, I'm not talking about cower. I'm talking about having a healthy respect of drifting away. If not, but by the grace of God, I can easily be that, which is why. And I am privileged to have this opportunity. When I got offered the opportunity to join on with Reasons for Hope full time, one of the conditions I had, and we had to figure out a way to do it that was cost effective, was that my wife goes with me everywhere I go. I will never be alone. Not only is that wise, because she is my best friend, and she will steer me straight, but secondly, boy, does that add accountability to any accusation that may be raised. Amen? So, so knowing that and acting upon it, preparing for it, fear it, so that ultimately we don't drift away. Psalm 119.93, I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I love the resolutions of Jonathan Edwards. Anybody read through those? If you haven't lately, I would encourage you to do so. He wrote these to himself when he was young, so that as he got older, he could read them back and kind of it would encourage him. Res resolution, oh, let me back up. Resolution number four. Resolve, never to do anything, whether physically or spiritually, except what glorifies God. In fact, I resolve not only to this commitment, but I resolve not to even grieve and gripe about these things if I can avoid it. And then he follows that up with resolution number seven, which is resolved never to do anything which I would be afraid to do if it were my last hour of my life. Live in such a way that we actually show what we believe and why we believe it. I'll introduce you to someone because sometimes missing it by a little bit means everything. This is Matt Emmons. He's a professional sharpshooter. He was on the Olympic team. His lack of focus cost him everything. In the Olympics, Matt Emmons was Get hitting back. target after target. He was doing so well that on his last round, all he needed to do was hit his target, and he was guaranteed the gold medal. So his neighbor lines up and shoots, and you will be able to see where his neighbor hits. You see his shot on the paper. All Matt needs to do is hit the target, and he wins gold. Eight years of training. He lines up, he shoots. Here's his target. How many of you see the bullet hole? That's because it's not there. If you don't understand what's going on, because this is in Chinese, because that's where the Olympic Games were held, Matt Emmons missed because he shot his neighbor's target. Eight years of training, and he went from hero to zero at the speed of a bullet. He missed it all. He won nothing. Everything gone. And that's heartbreaking. In fact, he didn't even know what happened. His wife was crying, trying to console him. All he did was lose focus for a moment. And it cost him everything he had worked for. 
First Peter chapter 2, 11, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. Two primary truths in this passage. Number one, we're in a spiritual war. Number two, the enemy is us. It's ourselves. And so we can't trust ourselves. We have to make ourselves accountable to the word of God. J.C. Ryle said it like this, unless we really know the character of our own heart, we will never value the gospel as we ought. Because we are people who have a tendency to focus on the wrong things. Let's get back to focusing on the things that matter. I told you I would share a video. This is it. If you have young children, you might want to cover eyes or ask them to turn away during this video. It is by a man named Pitt Durnitz, uh, about a man named Pitt Durnitz. And it's a tragic example of what happens when you're lured by something of temporal value. Pitt Durnitz decided to go to a vacation and he and his family went to a wild game park. And because he had, at the time, one of those new Hi8 cameras, he decided to get out of the car to go and get a picture of the lion up close. This sequence is part of the evidence examined by the court in a lawsuit brought by the heirs of the victim against an insurance company. Because of his tragic thoughtlessness, Pitt Dönitz was torn to pieces at 9.25 a.m. before the eyes of his wife, Carol, his nine-year-old daughter, Kim, and his two-year-old son, Graham. The incident lasted just over two minutes. Due to the nature of the terrain, it was impossible to make any use of the cars. The animals were driven off only after the arrival of a game warden. A lioness seized the victim's movie camera. Stained with blood, the camera was recovered after the animal was shot. It contained the last scene filmed by Pitt Dönitz. This one. Pitt Dönitz made three major mistakes. And it wraps up the six we've been talking about. Number one, he was attracted to something that would ultimately kill him. Number two, he underestimated the power of the lion. And number three, he overestimated his ability to get away. It cost him his life. It scarred his family forever. John Owen said it well. He said, we need to be killing sin or sin will be killing us. We had best to heed the advice. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And it would be better for a man to meet a bear robbed of her cubs than for a fool to meet his folly. Watch out for the cute and cuddly because behind it often lies a mad mother bear. And that is the why. We must give attention to the things we have heard. And you're going to hear a lot of amazing things taught from God's word in this church over the next year. Let's give heed to that lest we slowly drift away. I would encourage you to check out our app if you want more information or any more um, resources that we have available. There is an, a, a book table that is out in the hallway out there right in the foyer. Uh, you can see my wife and she'll be there and I'll be outside also. Um, we have a new book and I just wanted to explain this real quick and then we're done. 
Um, this is our book that we just released called Did Jesus Commit Suicide? And 27 other questions that teens ask that their parents want to know also. Um, we do camps all summer long. And one of the questions that was raised by a teenager was this. Well, if Jesus went and willingly killed himself, then wasn't that kind of like suicide? And if so, why is suicide bad and what he did okay? That's a good question. We had better have good answers. So what we did was we took 27 questions asked by teenagers at camps, and we answered them theologically in 2,000 words or less per chapter. Um, it's short reads, but our, our desire was to give theological answers in a brief way that teens and young adults would understand. If it's something you think you may be interested in, this as well as many other material is at the table. That being said, I personally want to thank you for allowing me to be with you this morning. I know what it is to give up the pulpit on the third Sunday of the year, and you folks were gracious enough to have me, and I greatly appreciate that. And so uh, if I don't get to tell you personally as you leave, thank you for the opportunity to be here with you this morning. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you and we thank you for this day. And we thank you for the warning that you have given us. That if we don't address the propensity of our lives to go in a direction that is contrary to you, we will find ourselves into all kinds of trouble. And some of that may even cost our life. It will affect greatly those around us. I pray for your strength and your grace and the power of your Holy Spirit to not only reside within us, but to guide us in each and every action so that we will be able to stand until that great and glorious day when we get to go home and be with you. Keep us faithful as you are faithful. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Christ Community Church of Laguna Hills. For more information and resources from Christ Community, visit us at www.ccclh.org.